Happy Mother's Day to you all, and that's to all of you, even if you're not a mother. Uh, it's wonderful to be able to celebrate our mothers. We may not be mothers, but all of us know one, right? And uh, most of us had one. And so we were thankful for our mothers. I'm thankful for mine so much. And uh, she's with the Lord at this point, but uh, my memories are sweet of her. And so... Happy Mother's Day. I want to take, before we get into the scriptures, and I'm going to be looking at Proverbs 31.28, if you want to turn there, Proverbs 31.28. I don't have a, a slideshow, I'm not a techie guy, um, but I do have a Bible, and if you have one, you'll be, you'll be right in step with me, okay? Proverbs 31.28. But before we read that text, and uh, before I get into the message, I want to take this opportunity, this is the first time I've, I've had the opportunity to stand before you for a number of months, and uh, I want to thank you. So many of you have been praying for me, for my health, and uh, I thank you for that so much. Um, we never know from one day to the next uh, what's, what's going to happen in our lives and how, how, what, what kind of a turn life is going to take. But uh, to know that we have brothers and sisters who are supporting us and, and to know that there's a God who loves us and cares for us is so wonderful. Thank you for praying for me and thank you for praying for Jerry because probably um, this has hit her harder than it's hit me. So um, pray for her. She's, she's still not doing too well. Some of you sisters and brothers have been praying for her and I thank you for that too. Uh, she would love to be here, but she's just not well enough to do so. Thank you. Proverbs 31.28. Perhaps I should turn there too. Yes. Proverbs 31.28. And it says here, about the virtuous woman, uh, the heading in your Bible beginning at verse number 10 may say the virtuous woman, the capable wife. I, I want to call this the laudable mother. Now that's not the title of my message, but this verse is the laudable mother. We can laud this mother. And it says here that her children rise up and bless her her husband also. That's a good thing, right? Husbands, you can get into the act too today. It's not just for kids, you know, but husbands can say to their wives, you're a great mother, and say that to them. Her children rise up and bless her, her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the privilege of being here today. Thank you for mothers and uh, it was really a good idea, Lord, when you designed them, and we thank you for them. Thank you for those that are here today who are mothers, prospective mothers, and those who are uh, grandmothers, and those who function in our, our church community and our society in a mothering way, who nurture people, who care for people, even if they haven't brought children into the world themselves. It takes a, a village to raise a child, and we're so thankful for those who give their hearts and souls to kids. Thank you. I just ask, Lord, that you help us as we look into your word today to find something here that, that touches our hearts that we can go away with that will make us better able to serve and praise and honor you with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, um, Brother David came to me and said, uh, how, about, how about speaking? And it's always a privilege. I, I count it as a privilege to speak and, um, and I said, sure. And he said, how about sometime in May? And I said, sure. And he gave me a couple of weeks to choose from. And 
I just at random, you know, picked the 12th day of May. And, and then I get emails and texts from David saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, bouquets, you know, flowers. I'm saying, what's going on? What's going on? I didn't have a clue. I, I, yeah, I still don't have it. But uh, it was Mother's Day, and I didn't realize I was signing up for Mother's Day, right? So a week ago Saturday, a week ago yesterday, I'm booting down the road with my wife, and, and she drops this little, oh, Mother's Day is coming soon. And I didn't hear a word after that, right? Because I'm thinking second Sunday in May rings a bell. Oh, Yeah. Tomorrow's the first Sunday in May. I speak next Sunday, so that makes it the second Sunday in May, so it's Mother's Day. Brothers and sisters, there are two Sundays in the year that you don't get on the platform. One is Mother's Day, and I'll tell you why, and the other is Father's Day. All right? Now, of the two, Mother's Day is better because you get to pat the mothers on the back and say, you're wonderful, and you are. And, and to thank you, and, and you know, that's it's all. But the thing about Mother's Day that really drives preachers mad, and you know, I thought about, maybe I'll just pretend I didn't know it was Mother's Day, you know? And I'll get up and I'll speak on what I was gonna speak on. And then I said, no, I want to leave the auditorium alive, so I'd better do Mother's Day, all right? The reason why it's tough to do Mother's Day is that I've never been one, if you can believe it. I've never been a mother. And so when I stand up and speak to mothers about being mothers, they're all going, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And they know that I don't know what I'm I'm talking about. They know not what they speak or where they affirm, just like Paul said about the, the false teachers. And so it's very difficult for a preacher to stand up and do anything about mothers on Mother's Day other than say you're wonderful. And, uh, and I've said that, so we should pray. Uh, <laughs> Father's Day. I'm going to be really careful. If David asks me again, there's nothing in June that's available for me at all. Father's Day, the reason we don't like to get up and talk about Father's Day is because when you do that... Oh, Perfect. Perfect. I was gonna. I was gonna suggest that actually. Uh, so, yeah, because you stand up in front of the, the fathers, and the fathers, you know, on Father's Day, the fathers all come in, they sit down, and and, and they're just like, oh, Father's Day, it's gonna happen again, oh, and the preacher's saying, oh, I gotta say something about Father's. You know, all we get to say is, you know, guys, we're we're trying hard, but we're just not doing as well as we should. You know, we gotta try harder. You know, press on. And it usually takes about two or three weeks after you've preached for the men to start speaking to you again, you know, so you don't come to men's group and stuff like that for a while. So don't do Father's Day. It's really an amateur mistake to, to, to volunteer for Mother's Day or Father's Day, but here I am. And uh, when, when the bulletin came out and, uh, and one of the brothers in the meeting so opened up the bulletin and saw my name on for today, he said, uh, so what is it? Is all the good preachers are going to be away. <laughs> I'm doing a series. I'm starting a series pretty soon. It's going to be Encourage One Another. And it's going to be a series. And it's especially for this brother, whose name I won't mention. But uh, if you heard his name, it sort of reminds you of a, of a native tree that has paper-like bark. 
Anyway, we'll leave it at that. All right. Love you, brother. <laughs> I want to talk to you about seven mothers out of the Bible. I've got uh, 20 minutes. Seven mothers, all right? I'm not going to read all the text. We read the text, and like a good preacher, he reads the text and straightway he departs from it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm departing from the text, but I want to talk about seven mothers. And you know these mothers. You already know about them. So what I'm going to do is sort of a pop quiz with you right now. We're going to have a little fun with this, a pop quiz. And I was a teacher for a number of years, if you can believe it, and I, I love to do pop quizzes. And uh, my kids, all, my, my students all love pop quizzes too. They just loved them. That's why we call them pop quiz, because it made you so popular with the students when you did a quiz like this. And uh, I'm going to do a little pop quiz with you. I'm going I'm I'm to talk about seven mothers, but I'm going to name the mother's children, and you name the mother. Okay? So give the name of the child. You say the mother. Got it? Just shout it out. Okay? Who was the mother of Seth? Eve. Very good. Very good. Now, if I had said, said Cain and Abel, that's too easy. That's not worthy of a question. So Seth, that's right. It was Eve. We'll talk a little bit about Eve. Who was the mother of Isaac? Who? Sarah. Yeah. Sarah is the mother of Isaac, right? She was the, Eve was the mother of all the living, the scripture says in Genesis 3.20. Sarah was the mother of nations, Genesis 17 and verse 16. Who was the mother of Israel? Rebecca. Who's Israel? That's a contract. That's a trick question, right? But his name became Israel. He was Jacob. Right? So Jacob's mother was Rebecca. She was a mother of twins, not identical. Who is the mother of, now this is for bonus 20 points, all right? Who is the mother of Moses? Uh, <laughs> she gets the, all right. 20 points over here. Jochebed, yes. I, who knew that? This one. All right. Jochebed. The mother of Moses. You can find her in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. She was the mother of a deliverer, right? These are pretty big-name mothers, right? Who was the mother of Samuel? Hannah. Yes. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. And she's a pretty important mother in the Scriptures, isn't she? She's the mother of a prophet and a judge. Who was the mother of Timothy? Pardon me? Eunice, that's right, very good. The mother of Timothy is Eunice. For 10 bonus points, who is the mother of Eunice? Lois. Oh, you guys are really good. Very good. Eunice and Lois, they're in 2 Timothy 1.5. All right, there's the seven women. There's the seven mothers that we're going to talk about. You already know them, obviously, and so I'll just be referring to them, all right, and you'll be thinking about them. Now, I'm going to do these seven women, and we're going to talk about them, and you know what, sometimes, sometimes these women, you know, from Eve to Eunice or Lois, there's a big time span, and there's a lot of difference in their lifestyles and changes in the world over the period of time that Eve came into the world and Lois came into the world, just like there have been many, many changes in our lives. So, like, things are different today than they were then, but, but you know what, we're all cut from the same cloth, and what happens is sometimes... When I'm reading the scripture, I don't know if this happens to you or not, but when I'm reading the scriptures, I'll read about some person in the scripture and I'll say, oh yeah, but that was Paul, you know, Saint Paul. 
that was Paul, or that was Elijah, or that was John. And, and they're, you know, way up there, and I'm way down here. And maybe sometimes when you're reading the scriptures, sisters, and if you're reading about a mother like, like Sarah or like Hannah, um, and you think, yeah, but oh, that's Hannah. You know, that was Hannah. She is, she's amazing. And she was amazing. There's no doubt about it. But we're all cut from the same cloth, right? We're all human beings. And so when we read about these people in the scriptures, you've got to remember that they're just human beings, just like you and me, right? And, and so let's look at this and look at seven observations about these mothers and realize that these can be seven observations and our seven observations that can be made about us as, as human beings and specifically as mothers. You on track with me on board? Okay, good. Nod your head. Good. All right. First point. Seven points. Seven points. And I don't have a, right? So you might have to, right. Okay, if you want it. First point. These women in the scriptures, these wonderful mothers that we've just mentioned in our pop quiz, were all flawed individuals. All deeply flawed individuals. And there's a, a corollary to that. And that's point number two. See, we go through quickly. Point number two, these flawed women really blew it at times. They blew it. Doesn't that make you feel good? That makes me feel good. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that? That these people, even though sometimes when we read about them, we think, wow, this is, you know, these people are amazing people. And they were amazing people, but they're flawed people. And they often blew it, just like you do. Let's not try and kid anybody. We're flawed people, aren't we? We're broken, flawed people. Nobody's nodding their heads. Nod your head with me. Yes, we're flawed. We are not what we should be. That's why we're here today. We're acknowledging, because we're here, because we're here in church today. We're not here in church saying, oh, I've made it, I've arrived. No, we're here in church today because we're flawed people. And we need God. We need him desperately. That song we just sang, I need you, oh, I need you. I was singing that with all my heart because I was coming up here to speak. And I know I need him. I need him. And when I'm not speaking, I need him. When I'm just being a little quiet guy in a corner somewhere, I need him desperately because I'm flawed. And you know that because you know me. You know I'm flawed. And I know that you are too. So sisters, if uh, mothers out here, prospective mothers and people who act as mothers know this, that these moms that we read about and we talked about, they're all flawed individuals, and we're, we're, we're flawed too. And that's why we're not only here, but that's why we need the, the Lord, we need to repent of our sins. We need to come before the Lord, and, and even before we, we might come to church and say, well, I'm a churchgoer or something, we might be church, I was a churchgoer for years and I wasn't a Christian. But I came to the point where I realized I'm flawed, and going to church isn't helping. Not one little bit. I was still flawed, and I still am. What I need is a savior. What I need is a healer. What I need is someone who, who, can, who can wash away my sins with his own precious blood, and that's only the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you realize you're flawed, and you realize that, that as you stand before God, you stand guilty before him in, the, in your sin, understand that God has provided a savior. We met today around a table, and we remember that Savior who had given himself for us on the cross of Calvary so that we might be saved, that we might be made right in the sight of God. And we're not whole right now. We're still flawed, but in the sight of God, we're whole. 
He's forgiven us, and it's all gone, all the sin. So we're flawed. As we walk in this life, we are flawed in this world. People will see that, and we will make mistakes. And just like these ladies blew it, so you, dear sister, dear mother, will blow it at times, won't you? Right? Yeah, good. You will blow it. You will blow it. Let's think about some of these heroes and how they blew it. Think about Eve. Remember her? Did she blow it? Blew it, big time, right? Remember that little encounter with a snake? Yeah, blew it. And then convinced her husband also to blow it. And he's held accountable for that because he didn't need to do that. But she helped him along. She said, yeah, why not? Have a bite, right? Eve blew it. Can you imagine that? Thereafter, Eve thinking, oh, man, I'm just not worthy to counsel my kids. Right? I'm not worthy to give them direction because, you know, I blew it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, you know, I've really blown it? How can I ever counsel my kids? Well, it's still your responsibility to counsel your kids, and you can talk to your kids about how you blew it and say, you know what? Wrong way. Don't do that. She blew it. Think about Sarah. Think about Sarah. Did she blow it? Remember her advising Abram to have children by her maid? Well, that's a great idea. Yeah. She blew it. She blew it, right? Think about Rebecca. Rebecca. She, she favored one son over another, right? She loved Jacob while Isaac loved Esau, right? And so there was this family dynamic going on that wasn't really altogether healthy, as you can imagine. And Rebecca was in the middle of it. She even helped Jacob deceive her husband. Oh, if I could only be like Sarah. Yeah? I'd love to be Sarah. She's such a faithful lady. She was in many ways, but she blew it. Husbands often say, if you could, wives, if you could only be like Sarah. Remember that portion of Scripture? We like to quote this one. With Sarah, she obeyed Abram and called him Lord. Husbands like to quote that one. <laughs> Sister, be like Sarah. Now, you are like Sarah. You already are. You're flawed, right? You're already like Sarah. You're flawed, all right? Already like Rebecca, favoring one son over another, aiding and abetting. Jochebed, what did she do wrong? We don't know much about Jochebed. There's just that little bit in the first part of Exodus that talks about, you know, her putting Moses in the little basket in the, in the river. We know that about her. She trusted God to look after a baby. But you know what? Jochebed married her nephew. Did you know that? Amram was her nephew, of all things. Yeah? Flawed, right? What about Hannah? Now, there's the perfect person. There's, she, she's absolutely perfect. Turn with me, please. This is just an aside, but I, I'm really struggling to find something wrong with Hannah. Um, she was so amazing. But if you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to show you what was wrong with Hannah. Okay? You want to highlight this and underline this in your Bible because it's really, really important. Not. But anyway, I want to point it out to you because it's fun. All right? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, the story is really serious, but I'm not. Okay? So the point that I'm going to make is not serious. But the story is serious. And... It says, uh, if we pick it up at verse 3, this man, that's Elkanah, her husband, he would go up from his city yearly 
to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. And so Samuel's going up, uh, excuse me, Elkanah's going up, and he's going to sacrifice at Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, were there. And the day came when Elkanah sacrificed. He would give portions to Penina. Now, Elkanah wasn't too wise either. He had two wives. So one was Penina and the other one was Hannah. And he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. So here's a woman who had lots of kids. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. She had no children. Right? Now look at this in verse 6. Her rival, that's Penina, the other woman in this relationship, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so that she wept, and here's the point, and would not eat. Hannah would not eat her husband's cooking. Now there is a blot and a mar on this woman's character. She would not eat her husband. He would go and sacrifice these sacrifices to the Lord and bring back portions, and he'd give her a double portion, and she wouldn't even eat it. Nope, not eating that stuff. Ladies, when you go home today and your husband offers you burnt offerings from the barbecue, <laughs> right, scrape the char off of it, and you wolf that baby down like you haven't had meat in months, right? Because your husband made it for you. Right? So I know I'm, I'm struggling to find something wrong with Hannah, but every, I know she's flawed. I know she's flawed because we're all flawed. We're all flawed. They were flawed, and they lived to prove it, and so are you, Mom. This is point one and two, right? We're flawed, and we blow it. Point one and two. They were flawed. They lived to prove it. So are you, and you live to prove it, don't you? So what do you do? Admit it. Admit it, especially to your kids when you blow it, right? Admit it. That's harder for men to do, right? Because we got something called pride, chief sin, right? But mothers and fathers, I'll give this one to fathers. This is Father's Day, okay? A little bit of a Father's Day message. We need to go to our kids and confess that we've blown it when we blow it so that they'll know that we know that we're flawed, Admit it. I, I want to read you a story. This is, uh, this is a story. How am I doing? Okay. This is a story from uh, a, a lady by the name of Barbara Bush. Now, this is not the first, the former first lady now departed. This is another Barbara Bush. And it's in a book called Mastering Motherhood. I spend a lot of time reading books on motherhood. And uh, this is one of them that I've been reading. And did you hear that? Okay. Uh, I just happened to read, I, I got this story. Anyway. And here's the story from Barbara Bush. Listen to the story and see if, it, you know, if you can relate, mothers, okay? She writes, One of the houses we lived in had beautiful hydrangea bushes, which would bloom each year. Their foot-wide masses of blossoms constituting the most dramatic attraction of our landscaping. When one of our sons was about four years old, he came into the kitchen one day and held up his little pail so I could see the results of his morning's activity. You, can, you know what's coming, right? Inside the pail lay the newly sprouted, still-closed buds of perhaps 20 hydrangea blossoms. He had picked the backyard bushes bare. 
And you know that the amperage went up in this moment is electrical circuits, right? Way up. She writes, I blew a fuse. I ranted, I raved, I spanked him, I sent him to his room. I was beside myself with anger and frustration. It took me over an hour to get anywhere near calm down. And at that point, I began to tell myself that such a little boy had no idea of the scope of his act, that the little green knobs were no different to him than the pods of the mimosa or berries on the other bushes that he was allowed to pick. I started to feel that I should go and apologize to my over, for my overwrought state. That's good, right? That's good. She was thinking right. So get this. She went to her son's room. She sat on his bed. She put him on her lap, and, and she said, I explained about what lovely bushes we would have had if he had not picked the buds. But, I said, I should not have gotten so mad at you, and I'm sorry I did. Isn't that great? That's great. That's what we should do. And then the child leveled her, all right, as children can do. And my son then proceeded to finish me off by saying in a kindly voice, that's all right, Mommy. Jesus loves me. Oh. All right. So we apologize, right? When, when flawed people blow it, they apologize. I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And then what do we do? We need to reaffirm our love for our children, don't we? We don't always do it right. Even when we're trying to make up for a flaw, we're flawed, right? So, but, but we need to try, and we need to tell our kids that we love them, even, even after we've had a blow-up, and when we're coming to apologize, that we love them. So, Bible mothers were flawed, Bible mothers blew it, and thirdly, point number three, they saw motherhood as a worthy vocation. They saw motherhood as a worthy vocation, and they, they longed for that vocation. Some had to wait a long time for that vocation. When we were thinking about Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah, these people waited. Sarah was 90 years old before she had Isaac. That's a long wait, isn't it? It's a miraculous thing to have a baby at that age. These people waited a long time to have, and then they invested heavily and wholeheartedly in their kids. It's a worthy vocation. They saw it as worthy of investment. Mothering is a worthy vocation, and, and it is a costly investment. There's a price to be paid. I, I, I know, not because I've experienced it, not because I'm a mother, but I've watched, right? From the time that, you know, they're carrying the baby in their womb, they're carrying, this is an investment. We're carrying this child around in the womb, and then they go to the, the delivery room. I've been there, nearly passed out, and I wasn't given birth, right? I was just there observing and feeling very, very weak. And, um, and then all the years of raising that child and nurturing that child and loving that child, right? It's a big investment. I, I went to a, a website and I sort of typed in uh, sort, of, sort of what's mother worth? I don't want to say too much about that thing there, Gabrielle, you know? Just hang in there, right? It's all going to be okay. All right, about the birthing thing, you know. Okay, so, but I went and, and I went in and I looked at what's a mother worth? And I found it under, um, in a place called Serenity Matters. I think that's such a wonderful title for a lady's site. Serenity Matters. It does, doesn't it? And, 
and it says there that there was a company called salary.com that did a, a sort of a tally. This is way back in 2010, so we're going to have to update this a little bit in our heads, right? And this is American money, so we have to do a Canadian conversion. But anyway, at that time, thinking of all the things that a mother, think of all the things that a mother does. I just wrote down in my margin some of the things that I, I just thought of this morning, that, that a mother, and, and, you know, I stopped because I just was going to run out of paper. But mothers, like, they act as chauffeurs, right? All the time. They're chefs, right? They're interior designers. They're launderers. They're nurses. They're psychologists. They're CEOs. They're judge and jury, right? Okay? And sometimes they're zookeepers. All of these people are well-paid. Well-paid individuals, right? And, and this company, this salary.com, calculated in 2010 that if we paid a mother for her hours that she puts in, in a year, she would earn $122,732. That's back in 2010. No, any, in a year. <laughs> wow. Okay. Some of us are better mothers than others, I'm sure. <laughs> you know. But uh, $122,732, and if we convert that to Canadian money and, and then 2019, you're up in the $200,000 range, right? So the next time, Mom, that you're going to hubby and saying, you know, I think it's time for a new dress. Just a little bargainy chip here for you, right? <laughs> this is what I'm worth, okay? This is what I'm worth. I, did you see on the news the other day, uh, you know, Harry's, Prince Harry, his little boy, Archie? The kid's going to have red hair, guaranteed, right? He's going to have red hair. And if you're from my generation, you know, Archie and Veronica and all those guys. Um, so they, they're interviewing Harry, and they said, so Prince Harry, you know, what do you think of parenting? Oh, it's amazing. He's two days into it. <laughs> he's not sleep deprived. He, he's two days into it, and, and the mother's in the hospital, and they're waiting on her hand and foot. He's going to go home. The nannies are going to look after the kids. It's amazing. Of course it's amazing for him. Mothers know that it's, it's a different word. It's not amazing. It's a different word, right? But it's a worthy vocation. Fourthly, these mothers believe that God had a purpose for their child. I think that's crucial, that we realize that God has a purpose for their child. Some of these, some of these mothers knew what that purpose was. Eve knew that her, her child, eventually, uh, she didn't realize that it would take 60 generations, but she knew that her child was going to crush Satan's head. Right? That was God's purpose for her child. And, and, and Sarah knew that of Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? God has a purpose for their child. And Rebecca knew that, that her sons would be the fathers of nations. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. Some didn't know, I don't think, what God's purpose was. I don't know that Jochebed knew what Moses was going to be. I don't know that Hannah knew what Samuel was going to be or Eunice knew what Timothy was going to be, but they knew that God had a purpose for their children. God has a purpose for every life. You know what it is? His glory. It's His glory. And you are raising an eternal being whose life is designed to glorify God. What kind of a, a vocation could be greater than that? Raising an eternal being whose life is to glorify God. God has a purpose for your child's life. Fifthly, I'm running through these quickly now. This belief 
that God had a purpose for their child's life led them to hand their children over to God. Hand their children over to God. That's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? To really hand your kids over to God. Jochebed, remember what she did? Moses' mom put that little three-month-old baby in a basket and set him afloat in the Nile River, trusting God to look after him. That's really literally handing the child over to God, isn't it? And think of Hannah. Hannah took her little Samuel when he was two or three years of age, and she left him at Shiloh with Eli, a priest, an old priest. He's probably in his 80s. She left him there with him to look after him. She had promised God that this little boy would be for his service, and so she left him there. And we would think, you're crazy, lady. No, 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 no. She left him in the hands of God. Every now and again, you'll see an advertisement on the TV, if you watch TV, or listen to the radio or whatever, and, and it'll say, you know, you're in good hands with Allstate. Maybe so. Maybe so. But what about putting your, your child in the everlasting arms of God and saying, God, I can't do this. I can't really raise this child as I ought to. I really need to place this child in your hands. Give me the strength and the wisdom for as long as I have this child. But when you decide to take this child and move that child on, I'm, I'm with you, Lord. You take the child. They handed their children over to God, and we need to as well, don't we? Sixthly, they trusted God to fulfill his plan. God has a plan, a purpose for every life. They trusted God to fulfill his plan. And in, in, the, in the midst of incredible trial, they trusted God for this. Remember, Eve lost her son Abel and effectively her son Cain at the same time, really. She lost those two boys. But she trusted God had a plan. And Seth came along. She trusted God for that. Sarah, she trusted God's plan. And when Isaac was born, Sarah had Hagar and Ishmael sent away because she said, the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And you might say, well, ah, she's just, you know, she's pushing Ishmael out. But you know what? And, and the Bible says, in this passage of scriptures in Genesis 21, the Bible says that, that Abram was displeased with that. He didn't want Hagar, the maid, and Ishmael, his son, to be sent away. But God spoke to Abram and said, you know what, Abram? Sarah's right this time. She blew it before, but she's right this time because it's through Isaac that all these blessings that I've said are going to come. Listen to her. Think of Rebecca. She knew that God would raise up her younger son for his purposes. She trusted God to fulfill that plan even though he was a wimp. You read about Jacob? I love Jacob. Such a wimp. And God took that wimpy guy and made him Israel, the father of the nation. And Rebecca believed that. Well, she went about it all the wrong way. I'm, you know, she blew it. Yes, she went about it all wrong. But she still believed God in the midst of it. And Jochebed, and she had to wait a long time. How long did Jochebed wait before she saw God's hand in Moses' life? Well, she saw God's hand in the, in the very beginning, didn't she? But to see Moses actually become what God had in mind, and I don't know that she knew what God had in mind, but you know how old Moses was before he really got in step with God's plan? Eighty. Eighty. Yeah, that's a long wait, isn't it? Waiting on your kid to grow up. Eighty. You know, 
sometimes as parents, as maybe moms, I don't know about moms, but I know sometimes as dads, we're thinking, you know, when is my kid ever going to get in step here? You know, I, Lord, I've, I've handed them over to you. I believe you have a plan and a purpose for their life. Uh, when should I expect to see some change here? Just exactly. And God says back, is your kid 80 yet? Is he 80? Right? Because God, you know, his timetable and ours are just not the same. And just think of what Moses did in the last third of his life. Right? So God is at work. Trust him for that. Trust God to fulfill his plan in your children. All are flawed. They all blew it. They all are choosing a worthy vocation by being a mother. God had a purpose for their children. They believed that. They handed their children over to God. They trusted God to fulfill his plan. And, and the last point is this. These mothers passed on their faith in God to their kids. 2 Timothy 1.5. I think that's worthy of reading. Can you flip over there quickly? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This was all worthy of reading, but you know that one of the things I had to do is sort of get out close to on time because you all need to go home and have that special dinner that the husband's cooking. Second Timothy one five. Paul is writing and he and he speaks of Timothy, and he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Lois passed on her faith to Eunice, who passed on her faith to Timothy. So important that we pass on our faith, isn't it? Only takes one generation to miss it, right? So we need to pass on our faith to our kids. It's so, so important. And I believe that these, I, I don't have references for these other mothers, but I believe they must have passed on their faith to their children, just as God wants us to pass on our faith to our kids. Mothers, three points. You said you were done, Clyde. No, three more points. And these are three finishing points, all right? Three finishing points. And this is, a, this is a summation of it. Number one, mothers, there will always be regrets and second guesses, right? Always. We will, we will always be saying, well, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? If only, how many if onlys can we list? If only, right? Because we blew it. We blew it. There will always be regrets and second guesses. Here's what you do. Confess to God and to your kids that you blew it, like Barbara Bush did, right? Reaffirm your love to your children, as I've said, and then press on. Press on. Secondly, mothers, there will always be critics. Amen? Right? Critics of how you're raising your kid. Right? Because we all think we know how to do it. And if somebody does it differently than me, they're, they're, they're wrong, obviously. That's not true. Right? There will always be critics. So here's what you do. You eat the meat and spit out the bones. Right? That's what you do. Because some of what they're saying is true. Some of what they're saying, the critic is saying, is true. So we have to be able to take that criticism and say, all right, I need to think about this. But then there are the bones, and we spit them out. If you come from where I come from, you don't say exactly that. You say you eat the fish and spit out the bones. But here we'll say meat. And then you seek God's wisdom in the scriptures to adjust your course. Right? Which way do I go? And the last thing, 
There will always be regrets and second guesses. There will always be critics. And there is always a, lovely, a loving Heavenly Father to turn to when we've lost our strength and our courage and our wisdom. I'm going to quote some verses for you. Write them down and look them up. One of them was at the Lord's Supper this morning. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God says his grace is sufficient for you, moms. I believe that's true. I believe that's true. Hebrews 4.16, we heard this morning. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Because his grace is sufficient, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then finally, James 4.6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we humbly come to the throne of grace, seeking his face and his guidance and his direction, he will give it. He will help us to be better parents, better moms. I pray that your children will rise up and bless you, as Proverbs 31 verse 28 says today, that you will hear the blessing of your children and of your husbands, for that matter. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the word of God. Thank you for the mothers that are assembled here today grandmothers, and as I've said, those who serve as mothers, as nurturers. Thank you for giving us this wonderful gift of mothers. We praise you for them. We ask your blessing upon them. We ask your guidance. They have such an incredible job to do. May we indeed give them the praise that they deserve, and may they live to see the purpose that you have for their children being fulfilled in their lives. That is the greatest reward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.